Good morning. I had the privilege of being on that team that went to Panama and we got back last week and uh, there are so many things that I saw and I learned. It was just an amazing trip. Um, And so thank you for supporting our team, for supporting me and for supporting David's Well, that ministry that we have been supporting for many, many years. I remember being a child here at White River in the pews, listening to Juan Rodriguez, the founder, preach right here in this worship center. And so it was was really special for me to see it firsthand and to go. Um, I don't have time to share all the, the things that God taught me, but one thing that I know was true, I was very underprepared for my journey into the rainforest, I learned. Um, I know where Panama is. I know where it is on the map. I've supported, prayed, sent many of you to trips um, and lots of men to go on these construction trips. And uh, man, I was not prepared for the amount of moisture and humidity that I was going to experience. And someone was joking with me. They're like, man, it really rained a lot. You started like growing stuff on your face, Andrew. And I said, I guess so. I don't know. Uh, So this is my Panama beard for those of you who didn't recognize me uh, when I came to church this morning. Um, But I was in denial. Like, I didn't bring enough stuff with me on that journey. But thankfully, my personal denial of the weather um, uh, when we arrived there did not detract from what God was going to do. And so many of you in the past have built medical clinics, uh, helped uh, drill wells, build schools and homes for teachers. And that's what we had the privilege to do. We built a school and a home for some teachers, which opened the door to share the love of Jesus with um, all kinds of people and many, many children. And so it was just a joy to see that. We um, actually were able to baptize seven of the locals there and uh, all glory to God uh, for what he did uh, through that ministry. So thank you for being a part of that. Um, As we jump into our text today, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you are doing in our midst. I thank you for uh, how your body, the church works, that there are some people that go, there are many people that send, there are even more that pray, uh, others that support financially, and, and that is how your body works. There are many different members and different parts, and uh, we get to play them, and so thank you for what you're doing in our student ministry. I thank you for what you're doing in our kids ministry, um, what you're doing in Poland in this moment, and what you're about to do on some of the other trips that are headed out this summer. And thank you uh, for what you're doing right here in Hamilton County uh, through the ministries of White River and many other local churches as well. We love you and thank you and expect to hear from you through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this summer, we have been exploring the unlikely, the imperfect members of Jesus' bloodline, his bloodline. And last week, if you joined us, we looked at the person Solomon, King Solomon, and of all the characters in Jesus' bloodline and how complicated and messy any family tree gets, I think I know that Solomon was the one that made it the messiest of them all. He had 1,000 wives and concubines. 
So he made the tree a little wider at that point, don't you think? And um, if uh, you want to hear more jokes about that, you're going to have to go last week and hear and rewatch uh, Lance's message. So we're going to leave all the jokes about Solomon and his many wives last week. But what is fascinating to me, I didn't think this, I didn't know this until this week, and it, it kind of blew my mind. Solomon certainly had lots of children, right? We just covered this, okay? He had lots of kids. We only know the name of one son. Isn't that interesting? That was just fascinating to me. Of all the kids, we know of one by name. In Matthew chapter one, it tells us this. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. That is the only name of a son that we know of King Solomon. And Rehoboam inherited a kingdom of Israel that looked really nice on the outside. When historians look back at the reign of Solomon, they actually call it the golden age of Israel because of all the power and the wealth and the might and the land and the peace that Solomon enjoyed. And as great as it was on the outside, and it was great, it did not look like that on the inside. It was flawed at the start because of Solomon's divided heart and how he went after the foreign gods of his wives. And so Solomon was just the third king of Israel, and he reigned for 40 years. And in the book of 1 Kings, that's where we learned about Solomon. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 12. Solomon passes away in chapter 11. And so now we're going to see the story of King Rehoboam in these three chapters. So you can turn there and follow along with me as I begin in verse 1 of chapter 12, Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands with heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, and then we will be your loyal subjects. We learn a few things here about Solomon. Maybe you didn't know. Uh, more is seen. We see that Solomon was tough. He was harsh on the people of Israel because he wanted to accomplish a lot. He worked them hard. He taxed them a lot and he pushed them to the max. He built the temple, which the text tells us in 1 Kings, it took him six or seven years to build. And then he built the palace where he would live. And that took 13 years to build. So you can see a little bit of his priorities in that. And all the taxes and all the energy and all the labor to do those amazing projects tired out the people, and they were sick of it. 
And then we see there's this person, Jeroboam, who seemed to be scared of Solomon. What's that all about? He, he fled Solomon and now is coming back now that Solomon has passed. What is that all about? Well, in 1 Kings 11, there was a prophecy to Solomon that this man named Jeroboam was going to rule half of Israel. And so Solomon didn't like that. And so Jeroboam wisely said, I'm going to get away. So now he's coming back. And what does Rehoboam do as they are right about to crown him king? Verse five, Rehoboam replies, give me three days to think this over. Then come back for my answer. So the people went away. When I first read this about Rehoboam, I can see, okay, I can see how you're your father's son, the wisest person in the history of the world. Clearly, Rehoboam is very wise. Isn't that a very wise thing to do? Uh, something that we can all practice. When you have a very important decision, um, sometimes the best thing you can do is to go, I need a timeout. I'm just gonna take a couple of days and think about this a little bit more. That is a very wise first step, is it not? I think so. And so then what does he do? King Rehoboam discusses the matter with older men, verse six, who had counseled his father Solomon and asks them, what is your advice? How shall I answer these people? This is great step number two. Rehoboam is on his way to making some very positive um, decisions. He seeks counsel from the older men who have gone through this. In fact, what I find interesting is that they counseled Solomon. I thought Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. Yet this tells us that Solomon sought counsel. And if you read the wisdom books in the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you read those and you see uh, this should not be a surprise to you that Solomon sought other counsel because those books tell you time and time and time again, seek the wisdom of others and the Lord. It doesn't live in here. You need other people, even if you're Solomon. We better believe that seeking wise, godly, older counsel is necessary. Rehoboam is really on the right track. And what do they say? The older counselors reply, verse seven, if you are willing to be a servant to these people, today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. They seem to give him a very clear response. It's very simple. I kind of imagine this in my mind. These, these men who have seen Rehoboam grow up as a boy, I can see them being like, hey, little Reho, get over here. Um, got some advice for you, little buddy. It's not really that complicated. Solomon was hard. If you want to be king and you want the kingdom to go well, just, just do what they're asking and it will go well. Seems pretty straightforward. It is that simple. Verse eight, but Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men instead asked the opinions 
of the young men who had grown up with him, who were now his advisors. I love how the text describes this. These older men had experience and wisdom, and then it says he seeks the opinions of his contemporaries. Because they didn't have experience. They didn't have wisdom. They had opinions on what they thought they should do. And here we see Rehoboam is, is going around with his cronies. He's going around with his buddies, the crew that were thick as thieves when they were driving around Jerusalem in high school. That's the crew. He's like, these are the people that are going to guide me in this kingdom now. And how does this turn out? As you can imagine, we will see shortly. Verse nine, what is your advice? He asks his buddies. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? And the young men replied, and emphasis young, like toddler young almost. This is why you should tell those little complainers what to lighten their burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I am going to make them even heavier. Okay. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Okay, that is definitely something a young person would say. Like, you show them who's boss, Riho. Yeah, you go out there and don't let them take no for an answer. You show them your power. You flex your muscle. You're the king now, man. Let's do it. You like that. Show them you mean business. Show them no mercy. See, I recently watched a show on Netflix Cobra Kai. Any Cobra Kai fans out there? Karate Kid. Oh, there you go. This is great. You're going to love this. So their motto, show no mercy. They don't show any mercy. So Cobra Kai got it from these guys. This is the OG Cobra Kai right here in uh, Israel. Rehoboam didn't watch the show and know that they're the bad guys, okay? We don't show no mercy. That's not wise. Don't do that. But he takes their advice anyways. And three days later, Jeroboam and all the people come back. And what happens? Verse 14, he tells the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even harder. My father beat you with whips. I will beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. Okay, that's where we're going. You could read the rest of this story. And as you skim through it in verses 18 through 20, Rehoboam sends his labor advisor into the north uh, to implement this Cobra Kai policy in, in the kingdom. And they promptly stone that man. They kill him. They say, goodbye, Riho. Goodbye, Jerusalem. You can have it all yourself. We are going to put Jeroboam in charge. And now there are two kingdoms of Israel. Rehoboam's first act as the king splits the kingdom into two. The implications of this poor decision were incredible. And you can just read them the rest of the Old Testament how this split the kingdom that doesn't ever come back together. 
And every time you read from this point on, you, you, you see the word Israel, it's actually referring to the northern tribes of Israel that split from Rehoboam in the south. So Jeroboam and all the kings after them are Israel. And then the southern kingdom or the tribe that's left, Judah, as you read in the history of the Old Testament, Judah is what is left, the kingdom that Rehoboam and the bloodline of Jesus leads and rules. And this all started because of denial. Rehoboam denied the wisdom that was given to him clearly from the Lord. And he said, no. And it's so easy to see that there is no denying the power of denial in his life, and I would say in our lives as well. Is this a little harder to see the power of denial in our own life? It's really easy to spot it in other people. Well, they don't take advice well, and they certainly aren't listening to what God has to say. Rehoboam, man, look at this clown here. That was silly. It's a lot harder when we think about ourselves. But God's word, godly advice is often the thing that doesn't sound super attractive. It doesn't sound really easy to implement. It's usually the thing that you're like, I don't want to do that. That's hard. I don't want to go have that conversation and reconcile with that person. I don't want to go do that thing. I don't want to say no to this thing. But often the thing that we need to hear is the thing we don't want to hear right? I mean, I can think of many, many examples in my own life where this is so true. One being very recent. Um, just a few months ago, I committed to run with Team World Vision, uh, the monumental marathon, and um, I'm a first-timer. This is going to be a little difficult for me, um, not looking for applause. I'm looking um, for your prayers because this is going to be hard. Um, and I was having a conversation with somebody about, you know, what I should do to prepare for this race. And they're like, you should go to a running store and get these really expensive shoes. They're going to charge you a lot, but it's worth it. And I left that conversation and thought, you know, my pair of Kohl's tennis shoes that I've been wearing for a year are just fine. I'm going to start training now. And, uh, I had to take a break because my feet started hurting. And what do you know? I have a nice, fancy pair of expensive tennis shoes now in the closet that I am now using. You see, we deny the advice of people around us that know what they're talking about all the time. There is no denying the power of denial. And when I think about denial in Rehoboam's life, in my life, in our life, I think there's actually two kinds of denial that you will choose in your life, no matter what. You have the opportunity and you're going to choose one or the other. You have to. And the first one is this, denial for yourself. You're going to deny things for the sake of yourself, what you think is best, what you think is wisest. And that is what we see in Rehoboam's life. He denied the wisdom of God for the sake of his own desires. He thought, I know what's best. 
I know how this is going to work. I know how to lead. My buddies rule Jerusalem. We're going to do this. And he denied the wisdom for himself. I'm sure you've had this experience before where someone asks you for advice and you follow up later or you hear that they didn't do anything that you said. You're like, well, what was that? I thought you were asking my advice. You know what they were looking for? They weren't really looking for your advice. They were looking for justification to do what they already decided they wanted to do. And that's what Rehoboam did with these older, wiser men. And that's denying wisdom, whether that's from scripture alone or from godly counselors or from people that you respect for the sake of yourself. And so we cannot do that. We cannot look for advice in the wrong places. Don't go seeking an answer that you already know you want to hear. Many times what God's word has to say is going to be hard. It's going to challenge you. It's going to push you. And it says a lot about you for who you go ask and what you're asking. And we need to remember that. I love the proverb, Proverbs 30, 13, excuse me, verse 20. It says this, walk with the wise, become wise, associate with fools, get in trouble. Solomon wrote the Proverbs, and you can deny this truth or you can seek to live however you want. It's up to you. That's what's beautiful about Proverbs. What's so interesting about this proverb to me is that, yes, Solomon wrote this. But if you start at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, you know how Proverbs is set up. It's set up as a father giving advice to a son. Isn't that interesting? The Solomon wrote all these things. And as I said, we only know of one son by name, Rehoboam. And what do we know about him? He did not do that. He didn't do that. And this proverb is also interesting because in Hebrew poetry and, and wisdom literature, there's a lot of parallelism where it says one thing and the next line is parallel to it. So we would expect the proverb to say something like this, walk with the wise, become wise, associate with fools and become a fool. That's what you would think it would say, right? Wise, become wise, fool, become a fool. It doesn't say that because that's not how life works. That may happen, but what will happen, Solomon tells us, God is telling you, walk with the wise, become wise. You associate with fools and you will get in trouble. You don't have to be a fool to get in trouble. You don't have to be a fool to make foolish decisions. All you have to do is hang around with the wrong people, sit around the wrong influences, Get around the things that make you selfish and self-centered where you're going to deny the things that God puts in your life for yourself and you will get into trouble. And that is God's word right now. And that is good, good stuff for us to think about. And so I have a question for you. Who are you hanging around? Maybe not just the people in your life, your neighbor, your family, your friends, 
What are the things that you are listening to? What are the things that you are reading? What are the podcasts that you're listening to? What are the, what are the shows that you're watching? The wholesome shows like Cobra Kai. I'm sure that's filling up your mind with lots of good stuff. But seriously, are the things that you take in, do they make your heart more afraid of the world around you? Do they make you think more about how you need to hold on to your resources and, and cling to things? Or do they make you think about loving God more and loving your neighbor more? We have to examine our motivation. We have to look at the things that we're taking in and living this out. Or am I just looking for justification to live and think and act certain ways and reinforcing that with the media that I'm consuming. God has given us wisdom. God has given us godly people in this church that we can go to and listen to. The story of Rehoboam is a scary reminder of just how powerful denial is in our life when we deny the wisdom of God. And the world tells you there's no other option. You will and should always do whatever you think you need to do. Whatever feels good, you should do that. Whatever's in your best interest, only you would know what that is. So do those things. That's what the world says. Thankfully, when we read the breadth of scripture, God says, actually, there is a door number two. You can deny the things around you for your own benefit or there is a denial of yourself that is possible. And this is what's so hard because it's not natural to deny ourselves because it's hard. It doesn't feel good. It's difficult. And Rehoboam could have done this and kept the nation united. He could have said, man, I'm gonna put my friends to the side and risk these relationships because I know that's not the wise thing to do. I mean, I really want to, you know, show and flex my muscles as I'm starting out as king, but I'm not going to do that. He could have denied himself, but he did not. Again, often God's ways are often hard. They're not easy. They're often difficult because it's hard to sacrifice what you think is right. That's just from your own thoughts. It's hard to put up and give up the things that your flesh desires because God's saying, that's actually not good for you. But it's what we do. In fact, that's actually what the Christian life could be characterized by. That that's how Jesus describes what our life should be like as Christians. That it's about denial. You see, we, we preach and, and talk about how simple salvation is and it is. Romans 10, 9 could not be more clear. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for your sins and rose from the grave, you will be saved. It is that simple, amen. But it's a costly thing to believe. Jesus says it so clearly. Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. 
is to deny yourself regularly, every day, take up your cross, follow Jesus. Denial, not for myself, but denial of myself, of my desires. And that is what Jesus has called you to. The belief that I do not know what's best for me. I have to deny myself. The things that I feel like I want to do oftentimes aren't the things that I should do. I need to deny myself and follow Jesus and what he says for me. The steadfast will to just do what feels good. That's the mantra of our age. That is fool's gold. And that is exactly what Rehoboam found out. In 1 Kings 14, check this out, how his kingdom continued. As uh, we wrap up hearing how his life finished up, uh, 1 Kings 14, 25 says, the fifth year of King Rehoboam's reign, King Shishak of Egypt came up, attacked Jerusalem. He ransacked the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He stole everything, including all the gold shields Solomon made. King Rehoboam later replaced them with bronze shields as substitutes. You can continue reading. It talks about how evil King Rehoboam was all of his days. And then verse 30 says, there was constant war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. That is his legacy. He exchanged the golden age for the bronze age. And we know that's not a good trade. You know, we don't remember Michael Phelps if he has 23 bronze medals, do we? I mean, that's quite an accomplishment. I would take one bronze medal. That would be really cool. But he doesn't go down in the history books as the best ever with 23 bronze medals. He got 23 gold medals. And I didn't watch any documentaries on him lately or anything, but I can guarantee you the way that he got those gold medals was to deny himself in training. He said no to all kinds of other things so that he could train and earn those gold medals. And that's what God calls us to do. To be people who deny ourselves, our desires, and follow the wisdom that God gives us. You see, as hard as this sounds, and it may be discouraging, you're like, this is hard. I've tried this. I've tried to quit this habit. I've tried to stop this thing, and I don't have it in me. I read the stories of the people in the bloodline of Jesus, and I'm like, this is hopeless. They can't deny themselves. There's hope. There is hope. Because eventually, a Messiah was born, Jesus. Not just any old king, but the king of kings who fulfilled what David and Solomon and Rehoboam could not do. He didn't come to rule a people for his benefit, wagging his little finger saying, I'll show you tough, you serve me. No, Jesus is the opposite in every single facet from King Rehoboam. He came, denied himself as the king, 
denied himself so much that he was obedient to the point of death. He took up the cross and endured suffering when he did not deserve it. He did not have to. He even went to the father and said, Lord, if there's another way, I do not want to do this. Denied all of that for your sake. That is the king that we serve. That is a king who it is worth denying our feelings, our desires for. Because you should be wary of any earthly ruler who says, you give up all this stuff for me, trust me. It's not worth it. Only one will treat you this way and his name is Jesus. He says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and the burden I give you it's not heaven. It is light. Any other master, any other king, any other cause, denying your desires, denying your future, denying your plans makes no sense. But for the king of kings, it's not only reasonable, it's the best decision you will ever make. There's two kinds of denial. You're going to choose one of them. You're going to deny for yourself or you're gonna deny yourself and follow Jesus. No matter which one you choose, the power of denial cannot be denied. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for leading us as a king who is selfless, worthy of being followed, worthy of giving up everything in this life to trust in radical obedience. May we be a people who are characterized by that, that we trust you and love you so much, that we give up things that the people in this world say, you are crazy, but you are a king who is worth it. You are a king who loves, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.